ladies and gentlemen of Granville, you online and you right here, it gives me great pleasure to introduce to you Sam Fu as your lead pastor for the first time publicly. Amazing. It's just amazing. Yeah, yeah, it's, it is amazing. So I, um, I'm good at asking questions, right? So partway through this week, I, I scribbled out, I don't know, eight, ten questions that we could kind of work through this morning and uh, gave them to Sam. So he's picked four of them, I think. And uh, we're just going to do a little bit of Q&A, and then at the end, he's, he's got a bit of a word for us. So I'll just sneak down to the front row here, and uh, he'll take it away from there. So... Um, the first one, as I said, it's six months exactly. Is there anything you want to say to Grandpa? Yeah. Um, first of all, actually, it feels a little bit surreal still. I'm not sure if this is a dream or if this is a reality, but thank you so much uh, to Don, to Lady for welcoming me this, this week, uh, the staff. It's been uh, r- real precious just uh, getting started and coming into, just trying to slide into the rhythm of things here. Um, before I start, I just want to actually reassure you that I am the same candidate <laughs> as the one that you met in June. So back in June, several of you, like uh, you saw me and uh, a few weeks ago, actually, when I came and visited, are you, are you the same person? Because <laughs> I cut my hair, I chopped it off, so, but I'm still the same person, same candidate, and uh, I didn't lose any of my strength. So, <laughs> But uh, yeah, I'm super... Duper excited to be here um, and just to be part of what God is already doing here and to, to do what God is calling me here, I feel, and just to, to be a part of this community, this wonderful community that, uh, that God has already established and has been moving here for decades. Yeah, I've been here a long time, so I just, uh, I'm excited to be part of uh, this community. Great. So I asked Sam, knowing what he knows about Granville and where we're at, what what might his top three priorities be as he wades in to, uh, to Granville? Yeah, yeah, thanks, Don. Um, I think uh, these priorities really are aligned with uh, my, my kind of job description, my, my, uh, what I'm here really called to do as lead pastor. And the first of these is really to bring God's word to God's people, uh, to teach, to preach, to, to really equip. And actually, we had a, a, a meeting with the pastoral, uh, the preaching teaching team this past uh, Thursday, that was a wonderful time where we kind of encourage each other, listen to each other, also think about, start to vision about what uh, preaching and teaching ministry can look like here at Granville Chapel. So that, that's part of, I think the, the first thing is, is on my heart is really just to bring God's word uh, to his people, whether that's in me teaching and preaching or in, in me uh, helping to equip um, the preaching and teaching team here. And, and Granville is already gifted with a wonderful uh, cadre of uh, preachers, a group of preachers here. And uh, I just want to come alongside, help to, to resource, uh, help to empower, uh, perhaps give some of my insight and, and feedback to, to that, that process that's already been going on. So that's the first thing. Second thing I would say is uh, also part of you know, what, what a lead pastor does, which is really to kind of give leadership and vision and guidance to the staff and to uh, the board and also to the whole church. So to ask God uh, those big questions, what, what will you have of us, Granville Chapel, 
I mean, within God's greater kingdom and his church, what does God want of this community? Uh, what does God want of this church here in this place at this time? So to, to work alongside with the board and with the other staff, to just think about that and ask God those big questions and help the vision and to lead the church down some strategic paths that as we think about where God is leading us, how can we get there? So that's the second thing. And the third thing I think, as I think about um, priorities in ministry, um, it really has to do with some of the challenges of our culture and context. The third thing I think would be to, to create a greater sense of community and fellowship, and relationship, and togetherness. So I feel, personally, that this is one of the things, one of the challenges of, of being church in our time is our individualism. And it's not just me. I mean, this is an analysis of many, many theologians and pastors and people who thought long and hard about the church in North America, that we do church in a certain way, which is kind of individualistic. And I think one of the things that we ought to do um, is really try to push back against that from a biblical perspective. Like, what is church? How do we be church? Not just come to church, but how do we be the church together? So I think that would be also one of my priorities. Like, how do we structure that? How do we think about um, our time together? Not just coming on Sundays individually. And this is a wonderful, wonderful thing that we have here on Sunday mornings where we can worship together, pray together, uh, be together in this kind of celebratory um, worship atmosphere. But also, how do we meet together in smaller groups, in life groups or missional groups, community groups, whatever you call it, but in smaller groups where we can get to know each other a little deeper, uh, support each other, uh, get into each other's lives more. I think really that becomes part of the essence of what church uh, ought to be. So that would be, I think, the, the third priority. I'll stop there <laughs> for now, for now. And uh, yeah. just back to that preaching, teaching component, if you have your bulletins, that uh, next week we start the uh, three-week mini-series, and Sam's going to do all three there on three life lessons, uh, authenticity, community, and discipleship. Yeah. Is that right? Yeah, that's right. And then Thanksgiving weekend, Tim's back, and he's going to kick off our fall series, uh, Ancient Words, Giving Life. And the teaching, preaching team has all got their slots and their passages in there. And it's going to be, it's going to be great. Um, at some point in there, I might actually be done, but I might just keep coming to get, those, uh, get that series in, right? Um, that was a good segue, Sam, into the challenging uh, parts of your job description, but the most, the most challenging. Yeah. So I thought I would take this question a little bit differently. And... Um not just think about the challenges of my position or my role, but really think about some of the challenges of our time in terms of being the church. And so I have a slide here. Um, if I could pull that up, um, the one with the graphic. So before, uh, maybe just previous. Yeah, there it is. Yeah, it looks really complicated. Um, yeah, it's challenging just to understand it, maybe. Uh, what are the challenges of the North American church? This, is, this is, graphic is taken from a little booklet that um, Tim Keller wrote uh, just in the couple of years before he died. So he was going through chemo in the last uh, couple of years of his life. He just died this past year. But he wrote a booklet called The Decline and Renewal of 
the church in America. Now, he's talking from an American context to an American context specifically, but I think many, if not most, of the insights from uh, that little booklet, a series of, uh, actually, uh, a series of teachings and, and sermons um, apply just as much to Canada because of the secularization or the unchristianization or dechristianization of Christendom or Christianity from our culture um, over time. And so what this graphic shows is, is something that we all have uh, intuitively known, actually, is just that these lines here really represent the, the population of America as represented by different religious affiliations. So that top blue one, which is kind of uh, diagonally heading towards the, the lower right, is the Evangelical Church, and the Catholic Church is right along there as well. Uh, so this is by, done by population, size of population. The more steeper orange line um, is the mainline churches, so you would think of like the United Church in Canada or the Methodist or the Anglican, um, Lutheran, uh, the Protestant uh, mainline churches. Um, down at the bottom in the red, the black Protestant church, so that's significant in America. Maybe you would think of the ethnic churches here in Canada. Um, the Jewish faith is in green. Orange at the bottom, there are other faiths, so that would include, in particular, Islam. And then the only line that really is bucking the trend of this downward slope is this purple line going right through the middle, that of no religion. So those who are agnostic or atheistic, those who have no professed religion and overtly label themselves as such, that's that incline of population in the United States. And so there's been this steep decline in religious affiliation in North America in the last 50 years or so. And then that dotted line, that straight vertical line, is this kind of projection about what's going to happen. Now, Tim Keller, as well as many other people, think that although the evangelical church, of which Granville Chapel would be a part, has not experienced as steep a decline as some of the mainline churches, that we are on the cusp, the evangelical churches, of just as steep a decline as the millennials, those who were born in 2020 or 2000 and above, um, grow and mature because their lack of affiliation to the church is just as steep. So they're, they're leaving the church. Their professing of, of no faith in particular is just as steep. And so the prediction actually is that unless something church uh, changes in the church, something is going to happen in terms of the decline of the church. And so this is a time in which we live. It's challenging. Tim Keller says that it's perhaps the most challenging time to be church since the birth of the Protestant church in modern era. And I think that that's true. There are lots of challenges. I mean, it's a complicated question. Why this decline of the church in North America? Uh, lots of different reasons. Uh, it's a complex question. And a lot of... Life is becoming more complex. Our young people are encountering more and more issues, complex issues, as we progress in society. And how is the church going to address these issues? How is the church going to meet the culture where it's at 
It is an extremely challenging time, I think, to be church. And yet, this is not all doom and gloom because I feel like in this challenging time is also a great opportunity. So it's an opportunity, I feel, for the church to rethink what is church? What are the priorities of church? Perhaps strip away some of the things that may be more cultural in terms of what the church has been and to really come back to the center of what is the gospel? What is really the church about? And perhaps even to become more purified in terms of who we are as church. And so I think it's also an opportunity to renew. And, and I think many, many people are hoping that, that, that this time uh, within the history of society can be a time in which a church can be renewed. And so I'm hopeful also that that, that can be, that Granville can be a part of that as, as we look towards what is God doing in our midst, not just here, but perhaps in the city and even beyond. And what is God doing in our world at this place and time, a time perhaps of renewal? So I feel like uh, that may be one of the challenges, but also there's also great opportunity in that. Great. Very good. Last question. What? are you most excited about? Yeah, thanks, Don. And now uh, I'm going to sit down. So, yeah, this, um, this question is a good one. As I started reflecting on it, I mean, the thing that I'm most excited about really is to bring God's word to his people, as I said, in that first priority. And, um, you know, I, I kind of thinking about it as getting back into the saddle after being uh, out of it for a little while in terms of I've just been studying and now I get to be active again and bring God's word to his people. And I started thinking about it. And this passage came to mind, First Samuel chapter 3. And I thought rather than me talking about what I'm going to do, I'd rather just start doing it and, and bring some of God's word to you. And as I reflected on it this past week, um, this kind of question became a, a full-fledged sermon. But I started cutting it back because I know that's, that's, not, uh, that's not the point today. I just want to bring one point to you, though, today from this passage which came to me from 1 Samuel uh, chapter 3. So let me read that out to us, and I'll unpack one part of it and perhaps think about how it might apply for us today. So 1 Samuel chapter 3. Now the boy Samuel was ministering to the Lord in the presence of Eli, and the word of the Lord was rare in those days. There was no frequent vision at that time, Eli, whose eyesight had begun to grow dim so that he could not see, was lying down in his own place. The lamp of God had not yet gone out, and Samuel was lying down in the temple of the Lord and the, where the ark of God was. Then the Lord called Samuel, and he said, Here I am, and ran to Eli and said, Here I am, for you called me. But he said, I did not call. Lie down again. So he went and lay down, and the Lord called again, Samuel. And Samuel arose and went to Eli and said, Here I am, for you called me. But he said, I did not call my son, lie down again. Now Samuel did not yet know the Lord, and the word of the Lord had not yet been revealed to him. And the Lord called Samuel again the third time, and he arose and went to Eli and said, Here I am, for you called me. And then Eli perceived that the Lord was calling the boy. Therefore Eli said to Samuel, Go, Lie down, and if he calls you, you shall say, Speak, Lord, for your servant hears. So Samuel went and lay down in his place. And the Lord came and stood, 
calling as at other times, Samuel, Samuel. And Samuel said, speak, for your servant hears. The word of the Lord. Now, I chose this passage not just because my name is Samuel, (laughs) but also because I feel like in this passage, we have this very, very clear sense of God's word to his people, God's word coming to Samuel. And that's what I want to unpack a little bit today. And as I mentioned, as I started thinking about this passage and started reading and studying it and meditating on it, uh, there's so many things that I, I felt are really applicable or relevant to our society. But I just want to touch on one, one aspect today. And that's this point, the, the key point, comes at the very end of our text when the Lord calls out to Samuel the fourth time. See, God had called out to Samuel three times previously, and Samuel didn't know what this voice was about, and so he went to Eli back and forth, back and forth. And finally, Eli kind of is starting to understand it's not just an imagination, not just a dream, but the Lord is actually calling out to him. And it's not until Eli tells him, speak, Lord, for your servant is listening, that, that God begins to speak to him. But there's this very important detail in the text that, that as I read through it again this past week, really jumped out at me. I just want to bring that to your attention right now. And what is so special is that there's this word in verse 10. And the Lord came and stood, calling as at other times, Samuel, Samuel. And Samuel said, speak for your servant hears. I want to focus on that word stood. Because that word is not often used of God standing among his people or before his people or with his people. In fact, only two times in scripture is that word used for God to stand with his people. One is here, and the second place is in Exodus chapter 34. And the context of that passage is Moses has come down from Mount Sinai, and he's got the tablets of the law with him. And what does he see? At the base of Mount Sinai, the people are worshiping a golden calf. He gets upset. He throws the the tablets down in anger. They break. And then he has to go back up to Mount Sinai and get them again. A second time, God revealed to him his law. And it's that second time that as he comes to the Lord, the living God, Yahweh, that as God descends in a cloud and God comes down to the mountain and reveals himself to Moses again after the people's rebellion, after the the people's repentance, that it says the Lord stood with Moses. I just want to read out a part of that passage, Exodus chapter 34, verse 6. The Lord passed before him, Moses, and proclaimed. This is the Lord uh, proclaiming his name. The Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin. But he will by no means clear the guilty. He's saying, God is above all a God of mercy and grace and forgiveness, and yet also 
There is this element of justice and truth and righteousness to God, which you cannot ignore. And then what follows immediately after that, Moses falls down and worships God in that space. And then there's this very tender moment in which Moses, he begs God not to leave his people, despite their rebelliousness, despite what they've done. And he, he begs them to continue his presence with them, to renew his covenant with them. And God does. He relents. And instead of just punishing, he forgives them. He comes back into their presence. He draws near to them. He renews his covenant with them, and he continues that journey with them. See, the reason I think that this, this word is seldom used of God in the Bible is because it's such a physical word. It's used of people, it's used of armies, it's used even of angels, of people or beings standing with other, other people or other things or before other people. But it's not used of God because God does not have a physical body. God is spirit. God is, is, is invisible. He is not in a corporeal, he's not a bodily, physical being. And so the biblical authors, I believe, did not want to use this word because they didn't want, want to give the sense that God is somehow tied to a certain location, tied to a certain place, as if he were a human body and could stand. And yet, in these two examples, I think the emphasis is that God is so near, it's as if God were standing with his people in tenderness and love and forgiveness and mercy. And that is such a beautiful, beautiful image as, as Samuel, this boy, you remember he's just a boy. He's not a prophet. He's like Moses. He's a seasoned prophet or like Isaiah or an adult. He's just a boy, 10, 11, 12 years old. I have an 11-year-old son turning 12. I know what boys are like. Yeah, but he's, he's small. He's vulnerable. He's weak. And so... Here is God coming and standing, revealing himself to Samuel in this very tender moment, I believe. And then Samuel says, speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. And God begins to speak to him. I feel like this is a lesson that we can learn in terms of our society and perhaps even personally as we think about uh, where we are as society has drifted farther away from its Christian roots, as churches find it challenging to be church and to be Christian in this time, as perhaps our society uh, is rebelling, in a sense, away from God, does that mean that God will be away from us? Does that mean God will depart from us? No. Scripture says that as we repent, as the people come back and turn back to him, God will draw near. So that's the sense, I believe, the challenge, I think, for us is as we repent, as we draw near to God, then he will draw near to us. And I think about, uh, just to give an example of of God coming to Samuel um, in this form, this almost visible, almost physical sense. 
and more than just an auditory manifestation, but almost physical, right? You almost think embodiment, almost like incarnation, and yet it's God, and yet there's this boy. I think of our Lord of the Rings. Um, you know, Gandalf, if you've read or watched the movies, Gandalf, the character, the wizard, he's this kind of larger-than-life wizard. He's so powerful, immensely powerful uh, in, in his wizardry, his magic, and yet he's also got this kind of tender, almost humorous side to him. So especially in that first book or the first movie as he's interacting with the hobbits, right? The hobbits are like half his size. He could overwhelm them and overpower them uh, with who he is and his power and his might and his magic. And yet he's almost gentle and funny, almost like this grandfatherly figure to them. There's this power that's hidden within his cloak. And I think that's how God is interacting with Samuel. That's how God, how, how tender God is in wanting to come to us as we begin to draw near to him, as we open our hearts, as we turn our eyes from the distractions or the idols from with, without or maybe from even within and say, speak, Lord. Not speak in terms of all the idols and distractions around us, but speak Lord, the living God, for your servant is listening. And he, I think, is willing to come to us. And, uh, and it's a wonderful, I think, kind of image of the New Testament to our, our prophecy or our type, this kind of foreshadowing about God coming down, right, in the form of a human baby, human person, Jesus. Yeah, wonderful, wonderful foreshadowing. We'll leave that for another day. So, so that gives me great hope for the church, uh, for this church and even the, the church beyond, um, and even for our society, North American society. And that's, uh, I think that's what I'm most excited about, is to bring God's word to his people. Um, let me pray for us, and I'll close this part of our time. I thank you, Lord, that, that you do not leave us without hope, that even in the midst of a society which is beginning or maybe even deeply entrenched in this process of forgetting who you are, you do not forget who we are. You do not forget our roots in terms of our Christian history and our past, so intertwined with the birth and death and resurrection of Jesus Christ in Western society, Western civilization, and so impactful in the history of this world. You do not forget who you are for us and who we are to you, your precious people whom you love. We give you thanks for this wonderful, wonderful truth. So Lord, as we turn our hearts to you, as Granville turns its heart to you, turning again from the things that distract, turning again from the things that they may be good in and of themselves because you make them good. You've given them as gifts to us, whether they are our work or our families or recreation, our health, our lives, turning from these things, making these things idols perhaps, and turn to you, the living God, to make you priority, to make you God again in our lives. Lord, as, as we do this and as we come to you and as we realize that you are the one who speaks to us, Lord, would you be so tender and you, would you be so near to us, just as in Samuel's day, just in Moses' day, just as in Jesus' day, that your spirit will be present to us, would even stand with us 
and speak to us. Lord, this is our desire that we be your servants. So speak to us, Lord. We're listening. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen.